This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Welcome back to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. It's my pleasure to be with you today. Um, my name is Sam, and I'm your host, and I'm hosting Richard Blackaby. <laughs> the hostess with the mostest. Thanks, oh, Sam. Yes. Well, we're, we're uh, fully into spring here. Yeah. Um, I've noticed your eyes are watering today. and uh, had a know, few this, sneezing attacks this, this morning. Yeah, this pollen is coating wow. the ground like a fresh winter snow. <laughs> wow, this is in, like, uh, yeah. Here in Georgia. So. Drifts of pollen here in <laughs> Georgia. <laughs> yeah, I got to get it off the, the pollen plow. Wow. <laughs> but anyways, um, maybe just mention uh, at the top here that uh, you and your son Daniel, your um, second son. Second son. Uh, are going to be at the Cove, the Billy Graham Training Center in uh, just outside of Asheville, North Carolina in yeah. about a month. So in, Yeah, 17th in, of uh, May and uh, 19th. And uh, if you've never been to the Cove, it's a beautiful place uh, to get away to. Billy Graham lived nearby there and uh, always loved that area. And it was kind of his vision to have a place where people could just come and just be taught the Bible in a yeah. beautiful setting, have a spiritual retreat setting. That's kind of the area in the Blue Ridge Mountains where he got charged up all the time. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, it seemed to work for him. And uh, so if you need some spiritual recharging, uh, Billy Graham folks really know how to treat you really well. And uh, yeah. and it's just fun. I'll be speaking with Daniel and uh, talking about just how to increase your influence. And so uh, I think we all, especially when we look at the state of the country today, the the younger generation I think yeah. there's a lot of us saying, well, how can I exert a positive influence that makes a difference? And uh, yeah. certainly it's a time we need to all be having a greater influence for good than we ever have before. And so we'll be talking about that. And Definitely. When you get to those retreats, you, you get the afternoons free just to go and ex- relax. Go There's hikes you can go on. You, great things to do in, in Asheville. It's just a, it's a really nice setting. So. Yeah, it really is. And you yeah. can, they have options to stay on campus, I believe. And then, yeah. You can also, if you know, you can. You don't have to stay on campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it but way. it's sure but convenient. We'll, they have a great cafeteria there, a dining room, and uh, yeah. Everything and I think they're convenient. they're you know observing the necessary precautions in the time that we live. And yeah. So, uh, yeah. but yeah, I think that'll be a very beneficial time uh, if any of our listeners mm-hmm. want to venture out and uh, attend that in, in about a month. So time is uh time is ticking on that yeah, registration yeah. so uh but today we're do, we're going to do a, a book review and uh richard you've got a book called the gift of being yourself yeah and i can only speak for myself yeah, i don't well, know about I, you I, but I, uh yeah <laughs> actually let you do that. <laughs> scott uh, mcclellan that we've had on here as a guest i know he's a regular listener to this podcast uh is the one actually who who uh, made me aware of this book and it's a different kind of book uh, it's by david g benner called the gift of being yourself and the subtitle is the sacred call to self-discovery and uh, there's flowers and birds and leaves on the front cover and so it's and it's only about 100 or so pages so not the kind of book that i normally am drawn to the gift of being yourself kind of seems a little uh, you know, l- self-helpy. Little, yeah, and you know, I just kind of not my thing. But uh, but it's actually uh, it addresses, I think, some really great issues. Uh, David Benner is he's uh, listed as a depth psychologist, and so he does approach things uh, from a psychological kind of perspective, but also uh, a spiritual perspective as well. And uh, 
uh, and he's a life coach uh, who gets into the spiritual deep uh, issues in people's lives, uh, things that maybe hold them back. And uh, so I, I found this uh, quite interesting. He's got some good uh, endorsers like John Ortberg and so on. Um, it's not a hard read, but uh, he does kind of write from a bit of a psychological and a bit of a, uh, I would say, philosophical sort of approach uh, to life. And uh, so, you know, I would just say kind of at the outset, uh, Sam, that I think it's always good to read books that perhaps stretch you a little bit. You and I are in a book club and we're reading another book on the self right now that is quite academic and uh, mm-hmm. scholarly and you kind of have to plow through that. That also is out of my depth in a sort of a psychological, philosophical sort of uh, bent. But uh, but this book was a, uh, it was a nice sort of uh, counterpoint to that. And I, I kind of like where I'm reading, you know, one book that's going real heavy duty, citing all these in-depth uh, scholars and so on and researchers. And then and then you've got someone that's that's citing philosophers and that kind of thing. And uh, I, I think it just makes you well-rounded just yeah. to kind of draw upon different uh, sources like that into your own area. But uh, a couple of things that uh, Benner looks at, and one is just the question of who are you? Uh, I mean, who are you really? And it's interesting. He says, you know, every other animal in the animal kingdom doesn't wrestle with that issue. They, they know who they are. Yeah. If you're a deer, you don't wake up in the morning with identity crises about, should I become a meat eater? <laughs> you know, should I pursue other animals? Yeah. Um, deer just get up every day and do what deers do. And, uh, uh, they don't struggle with who they are. Uh, and when they fulfill their purpose, they're expressing that who they are and, mm-hmm. uh, and they're expressing how God made them. Um, and he said, but humans in one sense are in a lifelong journey to discover who am I really? Um, and you know, a lot of times we are defined in this other book that you and I are reading right now that we may have to review later is, uh, uh, says that a lot of our identity is found in how others treat us and what others say about us. Um, and I've, I'm sure I've mentioned before, when I was in school, having a French teacher declare in front of the entire class that I had a fungus for a brain. And uh, you you would not at that moment in my 11th grade of high school have ever thought that I would become an author or have a PhD yeah. uh, based on her evaluation of my intelligence. Uh, but, uh, uh, but a lot of us are wrestling with the our, our identity based on what others have said, how they've treated us, our parents, how what they said about our potential, how they treated us, our birth order, um, just our our luck. Sometimes, uh, you know, their their books. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell has a book about I think outliers about it, it, just at what what time of the year you're born could have a huge impact on you. Uh, especially if you're a boy and you play sports, uh, you know, there's a certain cutoff for age where anyone born older than that goes into the next year's uh, teams. And so literally, depending on, I mean, if you're born one week one way instead of a week later, you could end up being one of the biggest, strongest, fastest kids on your team, Yeah, which makes you think you're an all-star. The fact is you're just actually older than everybody else on your team. But, uh, 
but that will affect how you view yourself, how others view you. You'll be given more responsibility. And so literally, just what part of the year you're born in could have a huge impact on your self-worth, self-esteem, and so on. So, you know, there's all kinds of issues that go into who we are. Uh, We we could have made some mistakes early in life uh, that made us feel like we were failures, that we uh, were stupid. Um, Or we could have kind of been fortunate enough to make some really wise choices early. Maybe our parents helped us do that. And now we think we're pretty bright. We're we're pretty successful. We, We have the golden touch. And maybe has nothing or very little to do with our, us at all. Just, you know, we were fortunate enough to yeah. be born in the right home or have helpful parents or whatever else. So, so better says that when it comes to ourself, uh, he says the self is where we meet God. But one of the things he says that I think is quite interesting. Uh, at first I was a little worried he was going to delve straight into, uh, to heresy, but, uh, <laughs> he says that, um, to really know your, uh, he says that the the Christian life, so much of the Christian life is all about knowing God. And it's like you become a disciple of Jesus, you spend the rest of your life trying to know, get to know Jesus, which is true. But what he says is uh, to, to really, for, for you to really know God, you need to also know yourself. And he would flip that and say, to really know yourself, you need to know God. And he would put those two together. And so he would say, if you, if you want to know God better, you've got to know yourself better. The, the, the two of them are tied together. And so when you first read that, you think, okay, well, this is a psychologist. He's got a vested interest in people getting to know themselves. You know, that's, a, <laughs> sure. that's a job security. But, uh, but the fact is that uh, you, you begin to realize uh, he, he has some great points. Uh, and I think we all know people whether we are one of those people or not, but we certainly know people that um, were never very self-aware. Uh, they were never that self-aware of where they struggled, uh, where they had obvious issues. Sometimes other people knew where they were struggling, but this person didn't know himself. And if you don't even know that you have a problem, you're probably not going to experience God's power to set you free from that problem. Yeah. Uh, and so there's going to be areas, if, if you don't know yourself as a needy person, then you're probably not going to experience God as a provider. Um, and so there's going to be areas of who God is. You're just not going to know by experience because fr- quite frankly, you don't know yourself well enough. Mm-hmm. And so he says, but when you do know God as a provider in your life, it helps you also come to know that you are a person of need. Um, and so he would say those two go hand in hand. Um, and so when you see people that struggle to know God, Oftentimes you find out it's because they don't really know themselves very well and they don't know their need. Uh, they don't, they don't know kind of how they, they line up with God, how God sees them. So, uh, he says there is no deep knowing of God without a deep knowing of self and no deep knowing of self without deep knowing of God. And so he puts those two together, which at first I'm thinking, oh, he's going to just really psychologize a lot of this Christian life and everything. But, uh, but he's actually very God-centered, and um, uh, and he says that leaving self out of Christian spirituality results in a spirituality that is not well-grounded in experience. It is therefore not well-grounded in reality. And I think some of us have known people like that, mm-hmm. that uh, we they, they knew about the Christian life uh, in their heads, in theory, in theology. Yeah. 
you know, we've I think we've probably known people that were prided themselves in their theology, but they were social misfits. <laughs> they were just, right. you know, they or just the knowledge of of the Christian life, not even necessarily theology or deep things about the Bible, but just sort yeah. of like, oh, well, you know, one shouldn't do that or do this. or Yeah. And sometimes they'd have very simplistic answers and you had the sense they've never actually done that. They've never, yeah. uh, you know, they might say, well, God can set you free from any sin, uh, any bondage. And you think, but you probably never experienced being set free from anything. And just knowing you, I, I'm aware of several areas where you ought to be set free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's that, that knowledge of the Christian life kind of divorced from the experience of it. Yeah. And uh, he says some interesting things, which, if, you know, you, you, first, I'm, as I'm reading it, I'm like, okay, let's see where he goes with this. But uh, he says, like, finding and living out your true self is fulfilling your destiny. Um, and... Uh, he says that the, our true self is is ultimately who God made us to be, who God intends for us to be. That's our true identity, and uh, and that's going to take some discovery because only when you know the heart and mind of God will you know what He has in His heart and mind for you. Hmm. Uh, and so He says, identity is never simply a creation. In other words, we don't we don't really create ourselves. We don't, we don't come up with the kind of person we want to be. Yeah. He says, it's always a discovery. True identity is always a gift of God. Uh, and he, and he, and then he talks about fake ways of achieving uniqueness. He says, there are many fake ways of achieving uniqueness. These all result from attempts to create a self rather than to receive the gift of myself in Christ. Um, and so he says, there is there is a deep level of knowing ourselves that a lot of people never get to. Uh, and uh, he says some interesting things. He says, though we glibly talk about a personal relationship with God, many of us know God less well than we know our casual acquaintances. Hmm. So we talk a lot about it, but we don't really necessarily know him. He says, spending time with God ought to be uh, the essence of prayer. And he says, a lot of us, our prayer lives were sort of like a series of emails with just us sending random or thoughts, but not, uh, not a dialogue, not a give and take. Um, and he just has a number of things I find very interesting. He says, God is not alien to the circumstances of our lives, but comes to us in them. And so to unpack the various circumstances our life is going through, you begin to actually see God, you hear from God in that. And, uh, I like, he, he quotes Richard Rohr. He quoted several people I wasn't that familiar with, uh, who, who said, we cannot attain the presence of God. We already, uh, we're already totally in the presence of God. What's absent is awareness. And, uh, and I certainly would agree with that. We were often saying, God, would you be with us? God, yeah. we invite you to join us. And, as Richard Rohr would say, we're already in the, the presence of God. We're just not aware of how present he really is. God's people keep praying for God to transform Washington, Hollywood, or Wall Street, but revival always begins with God's people. If there ever was a time America needed spiritual reawakening, it's now. Currently, 70% of churches have plateaued or are in decline. More than two-thirds of young people who grew up attending church are leaving the faith before they graduate college. In The Solomon Promise, best-selling author Henry Blackaby shares the path to a renewal of faith in America and the restoration of holiness to God's people. Pre-order now at blackabystore.org. Links will be in the show notes. 
When God Speaks is a six-week online Bible study class based on the book by Henry and Richard Blackaby. The class is facilitated by the Blackaby team and features new teaching videos, an online discussion forum, and a live stream Q&A with Richard and Daniel Blackaby. Classes begin April 12th. Register at blackaby.org forward slash online classes, and links will be in the show notes. He has a way of saying things uh, in this little book that I think jump out at you that are memorable. He says, um, but nothing is more dangerous than presuming that we already see when we do not. Um, I think that was the Pharisees in Jesus' day. They thought that they yeah. saw everything clearly, but uh, they really didn't. Um, and uh, he, he, has, uh, he has just a lot of things that, uh, uh, about self, I think, that, uh, and our identity that are, are really helpful. And, I, and it really does push you to say, um, uh, you know, what, so like, who am I really? And am I comfortable in who I am? And, 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 and he would say, certainly there are things, he, he, what he's not saying is that you just need to accept who you are and just learn to live with it. You know, if you're a jerk, just go ahead and admit it, you know, Sam. And you yeah, know, you know, I just, that, I just call it like I see it. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's kind of like, uh, okay, I, I, yeah, I, I rub people the wrong way. I, I have shallow relationships. I str- I'm, I'm kind of an egomaniac, uh, but people just have to learn to live with that. He would say, no, but you can't change something until you first you identify it and then you own it. You say that that is who I am. That's, that's not necessarily who God created me to be. That's not who he wants my destiny to ultimately end up at. But, but I can't change something that I won't even own. Yeah. When I, when I own it and say, yeah, that is who I am right now, well, then you have a chance to change it. Um, hmm. But that's for a lot of us, that's the hardest part is just coming to, that, to grips with the fact right now, and actually for maybe quite a while in my life, this is who I've been. But I know that that's not who God intended for me. He didn't put me on the planet to be uh, a prideful person. Yeah. Uh, uh, but that's for various reasons, that's where I've come out. And um, and I think God has more for me than that. And so, yeah, I think as, as you excuse behavior, um, you, you never really, I think as long as you're excusing it, you're never going to fix it or get over it. Yeah. And, and so, and like he says, actually Christians affirm a foundation of identity that is absolutely unique in the marketplace of spiritualities. And I think what he's trying to say is that Christianity portrays a God who, creates things that are good and intends for things to be good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's also the God of truth. He, he, he speaks straight to you when you're not who he, when you're falling short of who he intended you to be, but he also comes alongside you and, and helps you do whatever has to happen. Um, so that you can change. He, he says something interesting. It's, you'd have to kind of get all the context in the book for this, but he says, while we tend to think of ourselves as a single unified self, what we call I is really a family of many part selves. And so, um, and so what he's saying there is that we think of ourselves as just one identity, one whole person, but he says, no, there's actually a, a number of parts as we're multifaceted. And so what he would say is the problem lies in the fact that many of these part, uh, part selves are unknown to us even though they are usually known to others, we remain blissfully oblivious to their existence. And so 
he he says that there's we're multifaceted. There's a lot of parts to us. Uh, there's some good parts. Obviously, we may be very generous. We may be very thoughtful, but uh, but then we've got this other these other parts where we're very thin skinned or very uh, sensitive to any slight or we're insecure and and he, and he basically says those parts kind of stay more hidden from us mm-hmm. and we we like to focus on the good parts and to excuse or explain away or ignore the other parts and so he says now that now people that know us our friends maybe our spouse they're aware they 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 live with us they can see stuff that we're denying um and he says so we you're never going to be a whole person until you can claim all the parts of who you are. Hmm. Uh, and when he says self-acceptance and self-knowing are deeply connected to truly know something about yourself, you must accept it. Um, and he says after only after we genuinely know and accept everything we find within ourselves, can we begin to develop the discernment to know what should be crucified and what should be embraced as an important part of self. And so he says, it doesn't mean that because you accept yourself that you resign yourself to always be that way. But do you have the courage to, to take a really hard look at all the parts of yourself, not just the parts you like, not the parts that you mm-hmm. get accolades for that have made you successful, but all the parts. Uh, and he says a couple of things kind of interesting. At one point he says, uh, uh, well, he says, but before we can surrender ourselves, we must become ourselves. Um, and he says, uh, he, he just has some things uh, that are, that are interesting. He says, uh, I have trouble, trouble penetrating my web of self deceptions and knowing the real me. I continually confuse it with some ideal self that I wish I were. <laughs> Oftentimes we, 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 we yeah. wish we were humble. And so we try to see ourselves as humble, even though we keep bragging all the time. <laughs> we, uh, and we ignore stuff. He says the human capacity for self-deception is astounding. Uh, and I thought, yeah, well, that's true. I've, I've just tried to deceive myself as much as anyone. Um, he says, we have to learn to see and accept what is really there. Um, and he says, but I love what, with this, he says, uh, and he says, the, to really know who you really are, you have to know who God sees you to be. Because, of course, God uh, sees the truth. God doesn't skip stuff or overlook stuff. If you really want to know who you are, ask God. He can tell you. Yeah. And he said, you are not simply a sinner. You are a deeply loved sinner. And there is all the difference in the world between the two. And I, I love that phrase. Uh because sometimes, I, and I know people, especially if they struggle with insecurity, that really struggle to just see their flaws because they already feel insecure and bad right. enough about themselves. The right. last thing they want to do is to take an honest look at seeing other things in their life that's not very great either. But he said you have you, you have to go there, but but also realize you are a deep. You're not just a sinner. You're not just a person with a lot of problems. You're someone that love that God loves deeply. That mm. God let His Son send His Son to die for, because He He valued you. Uh, and so He says, "You, what we tend to do is we have parts in our lives that are that uh, have perhaps tripped us up all of our lives that we we try to suppress, we try to deny, we try to ignore, try to excuse, uh, but we we don't ever really just confront. And He He says. Uh, we have to welcome back this wayward part of self that has become wild and untamed from many years in exile. And I, I kind of like that. Mm. It's like 
I've never dealt with this part of my life. I've often paid the price for it. I've had to ex- make excuses for it. I've tried to suppress it. I've tried to uh, forget about it, um, but but it's never been dealt with. And so there's there are parts of myself that are wild and untamed because mm. I've never brought them under submission. And uh, and it's interesting. He says he actually has a a list of nine. Uh, what he would call, uh, this isn't his list that he made up or came up with, but a list of nine, what he would call kind of primary temptations that is quite interesting. He says that most, uh, uh, he said our, our sinfulness is never simply reducible to one temptation, but he does say there's underlying everything we do is one major temptation that is particular to us. And so uh, it was interesting. He'll say, you know, for some, it's it may be uh, pride, and we need we really are always tempted to have accolades and affirmation from others. Uh, but uh, then for others, it, you know, it could be a, a, something different that uh, that drives us. And he says these are so deep that uh, w- uh, we're not even necessarily consciously always aware of them. But but if you but and we've talked about this before. Oftentimes, what happens is people. They, they focus on symptoms and we're chasing after symptoms and we, we think the symptom is our problem. Mm-hmm. And he would say, no, you, you, all these various symptoms, you can tend to find one common denominator, one, one issue in your life that, that spawns all these other problems that you're facing. And you got to go. And that's why I think he's called a depth psychologist because he says, let's not just deal with the symptoms. Let's keep going back to yeah. say, yeah, but why did you, why do you do this? Why do you act this way? And he, and he says there's about nine different kinds of, of needs that, we, that drive us. And instead of going to God for the answer, uh, we tend to go in, for the wrong, in the wrong places for the answers. And, and because of that, we're always having trouble. We're having problems. And uh, so I, it's kind of an interesting little exercise, I think. Yeah. Uh, and the book is designed to, to read with others that you can kind of talk with about. It's, it's great, especially if you read it with someone that knows you a little bit that can say, well, you're, you don't be too quick to say, to think that's not an issue in your life yeah. or, uh, yeah, I've seen that in you and, uh, uh, and maybe taking these tests together to try to, and in fact, he says when he first took this test, he, he knew he had to come up with some sin or temptation and, and he came up with ones he thought were a little bit more noble to have, you know, yeah. uh, and, uh, we can do that. It's like, well, I'm just too trusting of other people or I'm just too generous. And that's why I get taken advantage of. And, but he said that ultimately he, he discovered kind of what the real root temptation was that was appealing to his, um, his sort of false self, he says, uh, and and he says you sort of construct all these artificial uh, methods of making yourself feel good, uh, and you're trying to meet your needs in a way God didn't intend, basically, and mm-hmm. that's what's causing a lot of your problems. And uh, so he has a, a number of interesting things as far as that goes. Uh, that uh, that sounds interesting. What made us one last thing to say about that that area? He says uh, coming out of hiding requires that we embrace the vulnerabilities that first sent us scurrying for a cover. Uh, Coming out of hiding is accepting God on God's own terms. Having first created a self in the image of our own making, we then set out to create the sort of God who might in fact create us. Such is the perversity of the false self. Mm. And so 
of course, if we're going to be a false, not have our true identity ourselves, we basically have to come up with a false God that would make us that way. And if we're right. going to blame God for who we are, we have to come up with a God who would make us that way and make us this poor, innocent victim uh, or whatever else uh, that we're, we're, who are, are, we see ourselves as. And uh, he, so it's, it's kind of an interesting read so far. I mean, yeah. Well, you know, I just maybe as we as we wrap up here, um, you know, this idea of, of knowing yourself, it's it's so important, especially if you're going to lead other people. Yeah, um, that's sort of a foundation to, um, I think, to good leadership is, is knowing yourself. And so maybe just in the last couple of minutes here, um, what would be some big takeaways that you would uh, just leave on the table for those who are seeking to lead others? Well, he one, a couple of things he says that I just kind of wrap it up. He says, one, we do, we do not find our our true self by seeking it. Rather, we find it by seeking God. Uh, some people become way too self-absorbed in their own yeah. identity, and they but they miss God. And without knowing God's perspective, um, then you're not going to ever really know who you are. He says, no one is born with an identity, which is kind of an interesting thought. Um, I'd, I'd have to think about that. But he says, your, your, your identity is shaped. It's, uh, you don't know who you are when you're born. Mm. Uh, and a lot of your identity is going to be fashioned by your experiences, what you learn, and so on. The, the one other thing he gets into, which I thought was interesting, he talks about calling and vocation. And he says, calling, therefore, is the way of being that is both best for us and best for the world. And uh, he, you know, he basically says, that's why you need to know yourself well, and you need to know God well, because um, because God wired you in a unique way and God's not going to design you to, to be one way and then call you to do something entirely different. He's, he's designed you with a certain personality and certain passions and interests and abilities. And he's so that he's preparing you for what he's going to call you to do. So, uh, so as you study who you are, as you, as you learn and accept who you are, now you're, you're, you can understand how God is going to uh, assign you and call you to certain tasks. He says, uh, and, and I, I like that idea of, uh, our, our, he says, our vocation is a call to serve God and our fellow humans in the distinctive way that fits the shape of our being. And so mm. he says, so your calling is going to be something that helps you to, to maximize the way that you bless other people. And also the way you maximize fulfilling your own identity, your own shaping that God has done. And that's, that's sort of how you know that you're in the right place because you're doing something that you enjoy. It's, it's kind of like why I tell people now with the kind of work I, I do now, if I, when people say, well, wh when are you going to retire? I'd say, why would I retire? Like, I like what I do. I, yeah. uh, I might do it less strenuously i might sleep in more you might have sure. more longer vacations or something but uh but basically when you find your calling it it's what you like to do uh, my you know my wife and i we've had some long talks about that she'll say well you work all the time i said well because i like i like my work <laughs> like what else would i do i my my work is more fun than my hobbies i i, I get more enjoyment out of my work than i would just a golf game as you know you know how i golf so you know <laughs> my work would be more rewarding but yeah uh, he says calling brings freedom and fulfillment because it orients us towards something bigger than self um and uh and so i i love uh he says we are all called uh to live the truth of our uniqueness divine creativity 
has never involved a, pro- a production assembly line. And so he says, we, you've got a unique, you've been created in a unique way, a, a unique self, he would say. Uh, and so um, find out why. Like, don't just immediately assume that, you know, because you've got all these people created very uniquely by God, and then they do all these standard assembly line kinds of things, and they just toe the line, do everything just like everyone else is doing. And it may be that God created them uh, with a very unique calling and identity, but they they never understood that. They never yeah. took time to learn it. And so, um, and, and so two last things just to say in that. One is he, he says, uh, it is not just becoming like Christ, but act uh, actualizing the Christ who is in us. And I, I like that. I like that. Uh, God-centered approach. Some people are, it's, it's like the famous uh, book, What Would Jesus Do? And uh, and of course, the, the problem with that was people kept trying to just act the way they thought Jesus would act. Uh, you know, let me think, now what, how would Jesus handle that? I'll just do what he would do. Uh, instead of just letting Jesus in you do what he wants to do. Yeah. It's, there's a big, there's a world of difference between trying to be a copycat of Jesus and letting the actual Jesus live his life out in you. Mm. And, uh, and so I think again, truly knowing Jesus and truly knowing yourself helps you become the kind of person that, uh, fulfills that unique calling he has. And, and the last thing he says kind of ends up the book that I, I really liked. He says, uh, the self that embarks on the journey of Christ following is not the self that arrives. And I love that phrase. Uh, He says, you know, when you start following Jesus, you don't know yourself all that well, and you don't know Jesus all that well. But as you go on that journey with him, you come to understand yourself, and you recognize areas that uh, Christ has a better way, and you let him change you. You let him set you free. Uh, You crucify some things that you should never have allowed into yourself in the first place. And he says, by the time you get to the end of the journey, you're not who you were when you started. And I love that yeah. image of you kind of change as you go. You, you change along the roadway. Uh, you don't have to change everything before you start following him. You, you change right. as you follow him. And the, the closer you get to Jesus, the better you see yourself. And because now you're seeing yourself the way Jesus does. And Jesus doesn't look at you just to condemn you and put you down. He, he's not He's not into guilt trips. He's into setting you free. He, he knows from the beginning of time what God desired for you in the first place, and he knows how far short you're, you're, you're falling from that. And, and joy comes in fulfilling who you were created to be, fulfilling the purpose God had for you from before eternity. And when you get into that sweet spot where everything God put into your life, now you're actualizing and utilizing and all the things God always intended for your life to do while you're on this brief journey on the planet. Now you're doing those things. Uh, what a, what an amazing way to live your life. And so I really enjoyed, uh, this little book. It, it, it's not a, a long read. It's not a difficult yeah. read, but, uh, he just says a number of things where you, you have to stop and just think, um, hmm, you know, that, that, that makes you kind of ponder that. And, uh, we all, we all think that we're experts in ourselves. No one knows us better than us. But, mm-hmm. uh, the fact is that, um, it, for all the self-absorbed ways in which our culture kind of, uh, lives these days, we still don't know ourselves very well. 
And, and you can't because if you just go into a self-help, navel-gazing kind of uh, journey of, of self-centeredness, you, you, you don't ever hear what God has to say. And yeah. without God's perspective, we, we fool ourselves all the time. Yeah. And as Jeremiah said, our heart is uh, desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. And we, we're constantly deceiving ourselves. Uh, but God will talk straight. And, and you don't have to be afraid of what God says about your life because uh, he's not trying to condemn you and make you feel like a failure. He's trying to set you free to finally be hmm. the person he's always intended for you to be. Oh, well, that's great. And uh, as always, we'll leave links to this book uh, in the show notes uh, so you can find it for yourself. And uh, once again, thanks, Richard. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackv.org.